Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Praise the Lord. What what an awesome testimony. Just an example of some of the incredible things happening in our connect groups and why they are so important to have people plugged into, see people testifying of getting grafted in, engaged in the body of Christ. Just a beautiful, beautiful testimony. Good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Excited that you you joined us today. Also excited that today is the beginning of a new semester, a new season of Connect Groups, and we're going to take some time to talk about that in in just a couple of minutes. A couple of things I want to mention first is one, this past Wednesday night was our annual business meeting as a church, and if you made it out to that, just want to say thank you for being a part, just a great time of celebrating how amazing God has been to our church family, just celebrating his, his faithfulness. You know, 2022 was a phenomenal year for us as a a church, set new records in a number of areas. We had more people baptized in water than ever before in the history of the church. We had a higher average attendance for the entire year than ever before. The church income was the highest that it's ever been. So we're just continuing to see God's goodness, his faithfulness, and it's awesome that we serve a God. We can talk in advance about this year and how it's gonna be more of the same, that he's not gonna stop being faithful ever, amen? And so I just appreciate everyone taking time to, to celebrate with us this past Wednesday, then last Sunday was Miracle Sunday. We had a, a powerful service, just releasing our faith to see God touch people's lives, see people experience breakthrough, healing in their bodies, just a, a time set aside for believing for exactly that, the miraculous. And as you heard earlier, we want to hear what God is doing in your life. We want to hear testimonies. We've heard some already, but we know that there's more that God is doing. And I also want to encourage you with this. If you didn't receive uh, what you thought you would immediately, don't disengage your faith from what you first believed God was going to do in in your life. Don't allow what you see in the natural to pull you off of believing what what you start off believing from the word of, of God. The Bible says that we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. Sight is according to the senses. And so when you come up for prayer, I'm believing God's going to touch my body, is this situation, whatever it is, you receive a prayer and your hip still hurts or you still have the headache or the, the rash all over your body, Pastor Chad, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, the situa- whatever the situation is that you don't see, you don't see the immediate result that you wanted. To, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. Um, what I was trying to say, when you don't see that immediately, that we don't allow that to, to change our faith. Amen? We're walking according to faith, walking by faith and not by sight. So when you don't see that, you know, a change happen right away, then the response shouldn't be, well, I guess it didn't take. I guess it didn't work for me. Because that, that's a person who walks according to the natural. They're just walking according to circumstances. And Mark chapter 11 is a story where Jesus curses the fig tree goes into Jerusalem. The next day, they're repeating the same trip, and Peter speaks up, and he's shocked. It's blown his mind that the tree that Jesus cursed is now, it's now withered, and, and Jesus wasn't surprised by that. 
But apparently in the natural, Peter wasn't shocked the day before, that there wasn't a manifestation. You couldn't see with the natural eye what Jesus had set into motion the, the day before. It wasn't surprised when, when Jesus saw it was withered. He knew that it was already established in the unseen realm. And the Bible says that it immediately shriveled from the roots. So where you couldn't see, it was already in effect. It was already happening. It was already underway. If Jesus would have just looked at the leaves and uh, oh, they're still green, I guess it didn't work. He would have disengaged his faith, but he kept it green leaves, brown leaves. It doesn't matter. He knew, he knew it was a done deal. And so that's the way our faith has to be. So don't be discouraged if, man, I, I got home and the, there's still turmoil in my house. I guess God didn't do anything. Keep your faith in the word of God in the spiritual realm and keep believing. You're, you're gonna see that breakthrough. You're gonna, you're gonna see what God's word says you're going to see. Amen? Uh, one more thing before we jump in. I want to encourage you, if you are not a note taker, to become a note taker. R write stuff down when God speaks to you. In, in settings like this, in your own time in the word of God, if you don't have a notebook for this year, what God is speaking to you this year, I want to encourage you to make, make the investment to get yourself a notebook so you can be writing things, things down. It's important that you write down what God is, is speaking to you. So put the date in the margin Write the passage of scripture that you're reading that morning and the things that stick out where you feel like he's, he's speaking, write uh, the dates and who's, who's preaching or what you're listening to, and, and then write what God is speaking to you. And there's a lot of reasons why that is important. One thing that I've just recently started doing is at the end of the year, I'll take time and I'll go back and read my, my Bible journal for the entire year and see that there are themes of what God was speaking to me over the course of the year. It's like, it's good to take a verse and dive into a verse and let God speak to you, but sometimes it's good to take a step back and, and read the entire book of Ephesians and just kind of get the entire uh, overarching theme of what God is, is, is speaking. So it's good to do that with what God is speaking to us over the course of the year. I was shocked this year that over and over and over, I didn't realize it in the moment, but when I took a step back to, to read the entirety of that journal, man, there were some definite themes of what God was trying to speak to me, and it made it all the more powerful and memorable to see it repeated over and over and over. Now, if I hadn't written any of those things down, that would have, that, that would have been lost on me. And so I want to encourage you to be somebody who takes notes in settings like this, and in, in your own personal Bible study. All right. You know, this, this is a year of unusual spiritual progress for us. Unusual spiritual progress. We've been talking like that. That's something that God has put in our, in our hearts as like a theme for the year. I will make unusual spiritual progress. I want you to get that in your heart. I want you to make a determination in your mind that is, as individuals and as a church family, I'm setting my face like flint. I've got a determination. I will make unusual spiritual progress this year. That, we, that we've, we've had that settled and we take the necessary steps. It's not just wishful thinking. I'm setting something in motion. I want to have an attitude where it's like a watch me attitude. Watch my life. You, you just sit back and watch. I will. I will make unusual spiritual progresses. It's going to happen. You can sit back and watch or you can join me, but I will be making unusual spiritual progress. I want us to have that kind of an attitude. Now, there are things that we do to facilitate spiritual progress, that we're not just bystanders. I hope so. We'll see what God does. No, there's things that you and I are responsible for doing, and there are spiritual disciplines that help to cultivate spiritual progress. Four crucial ones, essential ones, elementary ones that we talk about when we talk about basic discipleship. 
compare them to like legs on a chair. You've got to have them to keep that thing stable. One, you you need to spend time in the word of God. You've got to develop your your word study life, taking time to hide God's word in your heart. Study God's word. You you need to have a prayer life. You need to develop a prayer life. Spend time talking to the Lord, listening for his voice. You need to have an outward focus. Get out beyond yourself through giving and serving. And the fourth one is Christian fellowship. So there's other spiritual disciplines, but those are four essential ones that have got to be a part of your life if if you're serious about your walk with the Lord. Now, if I want to have unusual spiritual progress, then I'm going to have to engage in spiritual disciplines in an unusual way. I I can't expect unusual progress with a usual level of involvement in things that promote my my progress. So if I studied God's word by just kind of casually flipping through a chapter or a couple of verses, and then I just went about my day without even giving it another another thought, well, I'm going to have to do better than that if I want to have unusual progress. That was usual. I want unusual progress. So maybe I'm going to have to read three chapters, five chapters, take time to memorize the word of God, set aside time specifically. I'm going to meditate on the word of God. I'm going to have to engage in an unusual way. If I'm used to just kind of praying for 15 minutes a day, well, that that was usual and that's okay, but I want what's unusual. We're we're experiencing unusual spiritual progress. Amen. So that means maybe 60 minutes in prayer. You, You get the idea that we're going to have to engage in an unusual way for unusual progress. If you engage the usual way, you'll have the usual results. So one of those is fellowship. Fellowship, Christian fellowship, involvement in the body of Christ. And we're launching connect groups today. I want to take some time this morning and talk about that and why it is so important. Before we jump in, would you, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. God, there's no one like you. Lord, we thank you for all the good things happening in our lives, in our church family. And like we just sang, Lord, you deserve all the glory, all the honor. And Father, I pray that this, this morning's time together would, would be a continuation of you moving in a powerful way. Reveal things to us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Father, bless us with eyes to see, with ears to hear, hearts that are like good soil. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I opened a new checking account. And so we went into the bank. We sat in the little, little office and did everything to open the, the account. And then they gave us uh, new, new debit cards before we left. Nice, shiny, new debit cards. The entire magnetic strip was on the back. Hadn't been worn off yet by my wife. It was, all, it was just, like, just this beautiful, brand new debit card. Now, before I want to make use of that debit card, before I want to go to a machine and make a withdrawal or, or go to a store and make a purchase, what, what do I need to do before I can make a withdrawal? <laughs> Somebody said that last service too. Yeah, okay, yes, I need to activate it. Create a PIN number. Yes, I need a, a PIN number. What else do I need to do? I need to make a deposit. Two services in a row, my analogy is destroyed right, right out of the gate. Yes, there's lots of important things that you need to do, but one of those important things is to make a deposit into the account. 
that it's, it's foolishness to think that I can make a withdrawal from a place that I haven't in, invested anything in the first place, right? So if, if I was really excited about my new checking account, my new debit card, and so I asked you, hey, let's go out to lunch, let's go out to coffee, it's on me. I've got this new debit card that I'm just dying to take for a spin. I just can't wait to use it. And so we go out to eat, we, we enjoy our meal, and when the waiter brings the, the check, I remind you, hey, this, this is on me, and I send, send it away with my card, and then they come back and say, uh, Sorry, it's declined. Your, your card got re rejected. Now, if I were to respond in frustration, like, this stupid card, I, I can't believe this, this card, this lousy card, this stupid bank, that lady that opened the account, I didn't trust her to begin with. She just didn't seem like she knew what she was doing. I don't like that branch at all. In fact, that entire chain of, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to switch to a different bank. You know, forget the bank, the whole banking industry. It's a bunch of crooks, a bunch of thieves. I hate the, I hate the whole thing, right? Now, is that really, if I haven't made any deposits, is that really the cause of my frustration? While some of those things may or may not be true, is that really the source of, of my frustration and my disappointment? If you said, hey, uh, you know, just, just a thought, did you, did you put any money into the account? That's besides the point. There's still a bunch of crooks. I don't, I don't like them. I wouldn't really be valid in my, my complaining because that's, that's not really the cause of the frustration that I'm experiencing. I can't blame the lady at the bank. I can't blame the, the banking industry. I can't blame any of those things because really it's a deficiency in, in my own behavior that's caused the frustration that I'm, I'm experiencing. Now, you can see where I'm going with this, but people do this in their relationships all the time. People have an expectation of what they're going to be able to withdraw from relationships when they haven't adequately invested in, in their relationships. It, this is true for all relationships. It's certainly true in marriage. It, it applies in the body of Christ, in relationships with, with, with one another. That people have an expectation of what they can withdraw without making adequate investment. And should it be different in the church and the body of Christ? Yes, to some extent, and we'll get to that. But, but people respond the same way. That when their desire for comfort, when they try to make a withdrawal for uh, care or friendship or whatever it is, and they don't have the response that they want, then their reaction is very similar to what I just expressed with you know, my, my debit card analogy. Oh man, those people, those people are worse. I, I don't like her. He's such a disappointment. She's the worst. Those people are a bunch of phonies, a bunch of, a bunch of hypocrites. I can't stand uh, organized religion. It's just all a bunch of, you know, the whole thing is trash. Really? Really? Is that why you're feeling frustrated? Is that really the cause, or is it because you're trying to make a withdrawal from a place that you didn't make adequate investments into? And again, should it be different in the body of Christ? Well, that's not fair. I thought the church should be different. Yes, to an extent, but that doesn't excuse us from operating in the wisdom of God's word. You can't say, uh, because the Bible says these things, I don't have to apply these other things, that these excuse me. That, that's the way people uh, try, try to expect more of others than they're willing to actually apply in, in their own lives. You know, just because, as an example, just because the Bible says that we should be kind and we should forgive one another, I can't use that as an excuse to be a jerk to people. Just treat people like, like trash all the time. Say, hey, you, the word says you have to forgive, so you're on, on the hook. Cheat on my wife, just act terrible when it comes to relationships. Says somewhere in here you're supposed to forgive, so I, I guess it's so. That, that doesn't excuse me, right? Holding other people to a standard doesn't excuse me. I, I'm I'm responsible for applying God's word in my in my own life. So this principle is a biblical principle that it's not right for me to try to make withdrawals from relationships that I haven't made proper investments into. 
And so just like with, with a bank account, people experience disappointment. It's, it's people's own fault. They've set themselves up for frustration and disappointment and have never had the mature connection of understanding why they're experiencing that level of disappointment. Listen to what it says in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man who has friends, something is required of that man. If I want to have friends, I want to have people that care about me. I want to have uh, this close-knit of relationships. I want to feel loved and accepted. I want to be known. I want to be cared for. I want all of that. Well, if I want that, something is required of me. A man who expects those kinds of friendships must himself provide to others the very thing that he's hoping to get from people around him. So it's a biblical principle that I need to make. It, it's... It's the, the principle of sowing and reaping. It, it applies everywhere. We're just applying it to relationships, just like it would be dumb to go out into the parking lot and expect to start harvesting carrots or corn or, or whatever. I haven't sowed any there. That, that's silliness. It's ridiculous. It's the same thing with, with relationships. We're launching connect groups today. And I want to take this time to strongly encourage you, if you're not engaged in a family within the family, to take the necessary steps as we start a brand new, this is why we break it up into semesters and, and seasons like this. So there's repeated on-ramps to bring people in to, to these groups. That the things that you're looking for, known, loved, cared for, this closeness, all, all these things that you long for, requires making an investment in relationships. So, so I want to talk about why these are so important. And I want to challenge you, if you're not engaged in the Connect group before you leave here, my hope is that you will change that and you'll be signed up for a connect group, either online in the ways that you heard, or you can stop in the lobby and talk, talk to group leaders. Or if you already are a part of a connect group family, I want you to engage this semester like you never, like you never have before. I want you to let the Holy Spirit stir up a desire to lead one. We need more leaders to facilitate more groups. It's part of our vision. As we grow larger as a church, we need more families within the, within the family. So that, that's, that's the direction I want to move us this morning in our time together. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. All the believers, all the believers did what? They devoted themselves. There was a level of devotion. Listen to what that word means in the original Greek. It means to continue to do something with intense effort. I'll read the next part, but already. It, it, to continue to do something. There's a continuation. There's something that's occurring regularly. It's not, it's not a one-time thing. It's not a rarity in your life. There is a continuation. To continue to do something with intense effort. That means that, that you have to try. You have to be intentional. This isn't happening accidentally. To continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication that it is in despite of difficulty. There's times where it's hard, times where it's inconvenient. You know what? You do it anyway. That, that's what it means to be devoted. So what, what are they devoted to? It says that all the believers, how many believers? All, 100%, not 30%, not 50%, not 80%. All of the believers. So part, part of what made the early church so powerful was the unity that they had. They were all, in fact, if you read the next verse, it says, and a deep sense of awe came over them all. 
There was was incredible miracles taking place. That's not coincidence. That's connected that they were all devoted to the same things. There there was unity. Now, what were they devoted to? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to doctrine, devoted to times like this where you're you're going to the word of God and you're wanting to learn and and draw draw things out of God's word, studying, studying the Bible. It also mentions prayer, that they were people of prayer. We emphasize those things. We, we want to have devotion to those. It's what we're doing right now. We just came out of 21 days of fasting and prayer. We devoted ourselves corporately to times of intense seeking the Lord and prayer. But what's in between studying the word of God and prayer and what they devoted themselves to? They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to meeting with others in people's homes. It mentions eating meals. They they were devoted second to studying God's word. Studying to growing in doctrine was devoting themselves to, to fellowship. So we've got to, if we want to be like the early church and have that unity and see the things happening in our, our, our lives like was happening in the early church, we've got to have a, the same kind of devotion. They devoted them when it wasn't convenient, when they didn't feel like it, when there was other things going on, when they just weren't in the mood, they devoted themselves. A lot of people in the church, including this church, that their devotion to fellowship in the body of Christ is, is similar to my devotion to healthy eating. They, I, I ascribe to it, uh, mentally, I think it's a good thing. I would love to do it. I've made the commitment hundreds and hundreds of times. I'm devoted to it right now. The problem is my devotion is so weak and so thin that it doesn't really take much for me to break that devotion. That everything really has to align for me to eat healthy. Some, there's got to be like only healthy food available. Someone's got to have found a way to make healthy food taste like unhealthy food. Um, I've got to be really, I've got to be really hungry. And even though I'm devoted, I, I want to eat healthy this year. I, I really do. But to be honest with you, it's not going to be very hard to, to pull me off track. If healthy food isn't available, then you know what McDonald's will do. I don't really, I don't really care that that much. That's the way my devotion is to healthy eating which might be a problem in and of its own, but that's not what we're talking about today. That a lot of people, that's their devotion to Christian fellowship. That they, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, 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 should, we should do that. I'm, I'm gonna do that. But if anything gets in the way, it turns out their devotion was flimsy and weak. And as soon as there's an inconvenience, I'm not in the mood. I just don't really feel like it. I, I, I don't want to right now. I've got these things going, going on. It proves that their devotion wasn't, wasn't really devotion after all. They devoted themselves devoted themselves to fellowship. How many people devoted themselves to fellowship? All. All of them. Your natural temperament, your natural temperament isn't an excuse not to follow the word of God. And people do this all the time. Because of their, their, their nature, where it's inconvenient to do what God's word tells us to do, they feel like they have an excuse because they're, they're wired differently. You don't think there was any people that were just kind of antisocial in the early church? You think they were all just, you know, social butterflies? No, there's some people that probably preferred to be alone, but it didn't keep them from devoting themselves to fellowship because it, it was that important. Your, your natural tendency is not an excuse not to follow the pattern of Scripture. It says other places, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. It was something that was addressed way back then. So, hey, you know what? I just don't, I don't like crowds. I don't like spending. I'm just not really an open person. It's not really, I'm in my, by nature, I'm really more of a loner. So that's your old nature. Your new nature is recreated to be a part of a body. Your new nature is part of the family of God. So whatever you've got to reject 
The Bible tells us that we die daily. Put off the old nature so I can walk according to the new. Don't be a person. This, people do this all the time. Don't let your natural temperament be an excuse for why you're not following the instruction of, of God's word. People do it all the time. Well, you know what? I'm just, I, I, I've never liked authority. I've just kind of by nature, I'm, I'm rebellious. And I, I just don't, I'm not, my nature isn't to submit. Yeah, your sinful nature. But why, why would you make that the standard of your life? That's a lot of us. My, my nature is to rebel too. My mom's here. You can ask her. She's, she's had to deal with it. It's, it's not in my name. I'm not like a compliant, submissive person. But you know what? I, if I want to be serious about following Jesus, I don't allow that nature to dictate the course of my life. I look at God's word. What does it recommend that I do? What does it instruct me to do? And if I'm wise, if you're wise, I choose the word of God over my natural wiring and my natural preferences and temperament. It, it's in my nature to be rebellious too. I'm a fool if I give into it. Amen. Amen. If, I, if I'm wise, I submit. There's people in my life I'm in submission to, even if my, my nature doesn't like it. I submit to our elders. I submit to other, other men of God in my life. Was Jesus a, a loner or was Jesus a social butterfly? I, you don't know. Why? Because he, he participated in... in both. He spent time alone with the Lord. Spent 40 days alone in the wilderness. You read through the gospel. He's withdrawn to a mountain to spend the night in prayer. We're, we're, we're withdrawing to a lonely place or getting up before the sun's even up and just spending time with the Father. But then you've also got other times where he's surrounded by crowds. He's calling people, come and follow me. Be my disciple. Come and live with me. He's got this ring of, of close friends uh, around him. Did he have a tendency one way or the other? Probably he was tempted in all ways as we are tempted, yet was without sin. So he, maybe he had a, a tendency one way or the other. But when you look at his actual behavior, you can't tell which way his natural temperament was because he was engaged in in both. And that's the way that we need to be. So most of us have a, a wiring that we prefer either being alone or we prefer being with other people. If you are wired that you are a people person and we talk about, hey, we need to start spending more time together. You're nodding your head. You're like, amen. And you're all in because you like that. And that might be easy for you to spend time meeting new people and striking up conversation, but you might have to really discipline yourself to withdraw and get into a secret place and study the word of God, close yourself in a room alone and spend time in prayer. And then there's other people where it's very easy for you to spend time alone. You, you prefer to be alone. It might be easier for you to, to be alone and pray and study God's word. And where you have to discipline yourself is to make yourself get out of your house and go and open yourself up and be available to others and engage. But either way, we've got to be devoted. And one of the things they were devoted to, they were devoted, devoted to fellowship. Now, this isn't just about connect groups. This is about fellowship in the body of Christ. This is about the relationships we have as men and women, brothers and sisters in the family of God. Connect groups is just a tool that we are currently using to try to facilitate, create, create space for those things to take place because they're important. And as soon as we find a better tool, we'll, we'll scrap connect groups and we'll go to a, a better tool. It's not about a program or groups. It's about fellowship and those groups serve as a means of providing a place for that fellowship to take place. That, that's what we're after. Do you, do you know how many things that you are wired to desire in life can be traced back to needing healthy relationships? You can read 
books on psychology and sociology, read articles on it, and, and thing after thing that people are inherently just wired and created to crave. You have an appetite for it. You will, you will leave yourself starving and desperate and frustrated unless you get in some healthy relationships. I'll, I'll read a few of them to you. Acceptance, love, friendship, social life, having influence, romance, a sense of family. I mean, we could go on, but those are all found in the context of, of relationships. And that's things that people from secular standpoint, things that people just naturally have an appetite for. You know, when you read books on, on sociology and psychology that talk about different phases of life and where you are, how old you are in certain ranges, there are certain desires that surface and become very strong. Like when someone is 18 to 25, what becomes very important is having close friends, a close group of loyal, of loyal friends. Does that ring true? That's what, what people desire. I mean, I want some people that I know are my, are my people. People crave it. Later on in life, as people get older, you know what they desire? They want to have influence with people. They want to be able to make an investment in other people's lives. They're the strongest desire becomes a sense of, of legacy. I want, I want to use my life to help somebody else. I want my experiences and everything I've been through, I want to leverage that and have somebody to invest that into. And again, we could go on, but you can see that you are wired to crave things and desire things. All of us are things that are only found in the context of healthy, strong relationships. And the body of Christ should be where the most beautiful, the most healthy, the most satisfying, the most fulfilling relationships are found. When people are craving those things and people are craving them, all of us do. They shouldn't have to leave the church. They shouldn't have to leave the body of Christ to find a sense of belonging, to find like I'm loved, to find like people actually care about me. I, I'm gonna have to go start spending time with this group or that group or this person or that person. Those needs should be satisfied in the body of Christ, but it's up to all of us being willing to provide that for others. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse seven. It says, a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. It's talking about when somebody has eaten and they are satisfied, that you can get to a point of satisfaction when someone tries to offer you honey, you, you loathe it, even though typically you would like honey. If I, I, I like honey. If you don't like honey, if you like, I always loathe honey, then you can substitute it for whatever would be desirable to you. That you get to a point where what's normally appetizing, tempting, it becomes loathsome to you. Have you ever reached a, a point like that in being so full, so satisfied? You have a favorite restaurant that you like to go to? A place that's like your spot? Imagine that place, and maybe you've, you've lived this out you and some friends, you're going to go to this restaurant. I don't know if you like a steakhouse or Italian food or Mexican restaurant. Whatever your thing is, that's where you're going. You're bragging on your restaurant. Man, this place is the best. I'm telling you, you got to try this. You got to try that. You sit down. You're pointing at things on the menu. Oh, yeah, that, that's good. I can't decide if I'm getting this, this entree. I can't decide if I'm getting that or dinner combination number five. I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to. You know what? I'm just going to get both of them. Let's just go for it. You know, you're, you're, you're just engaged. You're all in on this meal. You're, you're calling the waiter over. You're scolding him. Hey, keep those breadsticks flowing. Huh? I don't want to see, I don't want to see the bottom of this basket all night. You understand me? Keep them, keep them coming or more chips and salsa, whatever, whatever, you know, wherever you are. You just, it's one of those times where you're just indulging and you eat your meal and you're talking up, you're ordering appetizers and everything. And you get to the end of the meal and you're looking at the table and it's like, 
a war zone, right? There's, there's just crumpled up napkins all over the place. Everyone's pushed themselves back from the table. You're just looking around each other like, I can't believe what just took place here. <laughs> Kids are down at the end of the table with the, with the food that wasn't eaten, making weird concoctions and pouring sugar packets and pepper in it and doing all kinds of gross, gross stuff. And you, uh, you just like, ugh. You've reached that point in a meal. And then the waiter comes and says, hey, can I clear a few of these things out of your way? Hey, uh, anyone happen to save room for dessert? Have you ever been so full that when that question is asked, it's like offensive? When they say it, you, you look at them like, how dare you? Where do you get the nerve? You just watched everything that we ate. You were a witness to what just took place here. You carried 16 baskets of breadsticks. And there's not one left. Right? You've reached a point of, I'm so satisfied. I'm so full. I don't, they bring out the dessert tray. Can I interest anyone in a little? Can I tempt you with some dessert? And you want to like smack it out of there. I don't want to see that dessert. I don't want to see you or your dessert tray ever again. It's, it's loathsome. It's even stuff that would be desirable to you. You've been bragging about those desserts. Their peanut butter pie is the best peanut butter pie. I'm telling you what. And even that is like, oh my gosh. I, that, I, you don't even want to think about it. You've reached that level of satisfaction, right? Where even what ordinarily would be good to you, you're so full. You, I don't. I don't want another thing. I really don't want another thing. And then he swings it to the other end and he says, but to a hungry soul, even what is bitter seems to be sweet. So you, you, you could have one person in the restaurant that's knocking the dessert tray out of the waiter's hand and, and scolding him. And then back behind the restaurant, you could have somebody rummaging through the dumpster trying to find a scrap of food. And when they finally find something, you could tell them, hey, listen, listen, buddy, you don't want to eat that. that that's like... That's no good. That's garbage. It's, it's filthy. I think it's starting to spoil. You don't, you don't, that is no good. And they could tell you, no good. This is, this is the very reason I was rummaging through that dumpster. What do you think I was doing? This is what I was hoping to find. I had my heart set on this. I, I, you could tell them that it's no good, but they've reached a point of desperation. They've reached a point of hunger that even what is bitter now seems sweet. Even what's not good appears to them to be good. Now, in context, he's not talking about restaurant etiquette or appetite control. He's using this as analogy to help us in another area of life. If we had time to read through that entire proverb, a couple of verses later, we'd see verses like this. Proverbs 27, 9 says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. The next verse says this, Do not forsake your own friend. Or, or your father's friend. So in context, he's talking not just about food. That's just a way for us to gain some understanding and then carry it over and apply it to the way that relationships function. So with that in mind, let's read verse, verse 7 again. It says, A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Do you know how often people are pulled off course in their relationship with the Lord by relationships? Through hanging out with this group of people, I, I became friends with this guy. I started dating her. I started dating him. How often, how frequently, the, the high percentage of people that are on track with the Lord and get pulled off through, 
through bad relationships. I consider myself relatively young, but I've been involved in, in, in ministry to some extent for, for almost 25 years. And I've seen it over and over and over again. The people that are, that are in ministry, pastors on staff, when you talk like this, they, they nod their heads like, bobbleheads in the back window of a car going down a bumpy road because they've seen it so many times, right? Just, hey, relationships often pull people off, off track. They, they know because they, they've seen it. it happens so frequently that people aren't satisfied in their walk with the Lord and in their Christian fellowship. So those things that they crave, that you're made to crave, they begin to pursue satisfaction in unhealthy places. And you can warn them. I don't think he's good for you. I don't think you should be spending time with him. And even though you can try to tell them and present the case, and it be accurate and true, what's bitter seems sweet because they have been deprived, depraved of what they have been made to long for that can only be found in the fellowship of the body of Christ and in the family of God. But to be able to satisfy people, we've got to have other people that make themselves available in relationship, make themselves vulnerable in relationship, and understand how enormously, enormously important these relationships are. Because it's easy in, in the hierarchy of spiritual disciplines for people to treat fellowship like it's a, a minor league discipline. It's not that, it's not that important. They, they don't understand. That they think of fellowship, connect groups. That, that's like recess. That's like just a fun time if you want to play around. It's not really important. They imagine themselves as you know, a student in school that when it's recess time, you know what I'll do? I'm so devoted and so committed. I'll stay in the classroom alone and study arithmetic and, and history and not get, that, that's how they think of, of recess. They don't understand the importance of relationships and the role they play in our walk with God. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 12. It says this, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. And he starts off the, the passage we just read. He starts it off with the word beware. Beware. So God's word is always true. It's always important. It's always worthy of application. It's always worthy of our attention. It's always critical that we listen but when the word of God uses the word beware, it should do something to our awareness level. I, I don't know if you as a kid ever sold candy bars door to door, if anyone had a paper route, uh, or maybe in soul winning. Sometimes we'll go out into neighborhoods and go door to door. Have you ever been walking up on a porch before and then catch a beware sign somewhere on the property? If you've ever had that experience then something happens to you. You know what I'm talking about? Those beware signs like black with a little white border, orange letters, beware, and usually it tells you what to be aware of underneath. Beware of the dog. If you've ever swung open a chain link fence and you're on your way up the porch to deliver a newspaper 
and then you notice a beware of dog, it, it does something to your awareness level, right? It, it like, your eyes come open wide. It's like you develop another, another level of, of hearing. You get like animal ears that are like moving around towards, towards, towards sound. You enter a fourth dimension of, of awareness when you see that sign, right? Anyone ever experienced that? The, the beware of fill in the blank. Beware, beware this house is protected by Smith and Weston. Beware we shoot first and ask questions later. Whenever you see beware, when you're walking on someone's property, for me anyway, it's like it brings a level of awareness that you rarely experience elsewhere. So if that's when we're on someone's porch, how much more so when we see that word used in the word of God, that he's about to talk about something that should have our complete focus and a unique kind of sober thinking applied, beware. What in the world is he talking about? What do we need to beware of? Verse 12, beware brethren. Okay, so this, this, this is written to believers. This is written to believers. He's calling them brethren. The, the letter of the Hebrews is talking about our relationship with the Lord and men and women of faith. It's written to believers. And he's telling believers, brethren, beware. What should we beware of? Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Th think about the warning that he's giving here. Beware. Beware. Be alert. Be pay attention to this. You don't want to miss this. This is a big deal. Beware. Lest there be. In other words, it's possible for this to happen. Lest there be in me an evil, unbelieving heart who caused me to depart from the living God. That it's possible for my heart that loves the Lord, and my, my heart that was washed in the blood of Jesus, my heart that was cleansed and became soft and became like, like flesh instead of stone. It's possible for that heart, if I'm not careful, I can create a scenario in my life where, where that heart actually starts to become evil and this heart that believes in the Lord, I love the Lord, you love the Lord, this heart of faith can actually become a heart of unbelief. And if that happens, it can drive a wedge in my relationship with the Lord. My heart can become evil, it can become unbelieving, and it can cause Cause me to depart from the living God. Look at verse 14 again. Verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Let me read it in another translation. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed. So there's a first belief that occurs here. But that belief needs to be a continued belief and not allow an evil, unbelieving heart to develop in it. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, then we will share in all that belongs to Christ. If we do that, we'll share with all that belongs to Christ. So the warning is, it's possible to start off and not continue. Now, what would cause that to happen? Verse 13 tells us, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Lest any of you, beware, beware that this an evil, unbelieving heart departing from the living God. Lest any of you be hardened. Your heart can become hard, calloused, where you want to do the will of God, where you love the presence of God, where you just in worshiping a few moments ago, your eyes are, are tearing up. You just love God's presence so much. You can become indifferent towards it. You can become hard-hearted. You can make decisions that, Hurt other people, defy God, doesn't bother you at all. You, your heart can become hardened. Why? Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives people. 
And the way that sin deceives people is it convinces them that there are other things that are more desirable than what the word of God has for us. That there are other things that are more satisfying, more pleasurable than my relationship with the Lord and what God has for my life. And when you begin to believe that, that there's something else preferable to to God and his presence and his ways, you've been deceived. You're believing a lie. I know there's the presence of God and here's what's going on with the Lord and here's what his word says, but you know what? I really want to experience that. I feel like that would be better. I feel like it'd be worth my time. I feel like it'd be worthwhile to engage in that. You've been deceived. That is not better than what God has for you. And anytime you engage in sin, it's because you've been deceived. And when you're deceived, there's a hardening effect on your heart. So what, what, what is the solution? Because this is a major problem. It's a major problem that the sin can deceive us It's what we talked about before. What's bitter, it's bitter, but it seems to me to be sweet. Sin can deceive us. What in the world is the solution? He's warning us. He's just saying, hey, this is like a risk. You guys are are playing with fire here. No, he gives us a solution. What is it? Verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So the solution that he's giving to this major problem, that he's just sounded the alarm, beware of this, this is a major issue. You guys have got to stay on guard. How do I set up a parameter? How do I set up a guard in my life? I don't wanna be somebody who started off in love with the Lord, but ended up drifting and my heart became evil and unbelieving and I departed from the living God. I don't wanna be that guy. I don't want that to happen in your life either. What does he tell us to do? Exhort one another. There's one another daily. That means continued. It's regular. It's happening often. There is a closeness in relationship that he is prescribing as a solution to to protect us from this danger that he's explaining to us. Exhort one another or encourage one another. You've got to have people in your life that can encourage and exhort you. And the closer people are in relationship, the stronger their words are, the more accurate their words are, the more meaningful their words are. You've got to have people in close relationship that can exhort you and encourage you. And it's not just words. The encouragement he's talking about is not just generic attaboys and way to go. You're really special. You're, you're great. There's nothing wrong with those. But he's talking about an encouragement. The danger is falling away from the Lord. He's talking about an encouragement that propels us closer in our walk with God. He's talking about something that would exhort us, move us in the right direction. In the same letter, he talks about spurring each other on to love and good deeds. So words can do that to some extent, but he's talking about lives that you're joined to. It's not just your words that encourage people. It's not just your words that exhort people. Your life can be an exhortation. When people spend time with you, it it can encourage them in the things of God, or it can discourage them in the things of God. It can exhort them to draw closer to God, or it can be a cause of them drifting further away from the things uh, of God. So relationships, close relationships with men and women of God is what he's prescribing to protect against this horrible, horrific possibility that could threaten us unless we create these kinds of relationships in our lives. And you've got to be intentional. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to these relationships. At one point in my life, I was very close with some people that when I started to get serious about my walk with the Lord, I realized I was going to have to disengage. And it it was painful to disengage because I was very close. I love those guys. But I knew the way they were heading in life was not a way I wanted to head. 
And as close as we had been, I knew that I had to disengage, pull, pull away, break whatever connection was there. I still love them. Some of them I'm still in contact with today, but not like I used to be. I disengaged. And it's not just so I could become a hermit. I've got to replace those negative relationships with some positive relationships. I've got to ingrain. I've got to graft myself in. I've got to allow my life to be tethered, woven in with people that are moving in the direction that I want to move in. And you can look at my relationships today. I'm blessed to be surrounded by people that love God, that walk in holiness, that desire to be more righteous and not less righteous. The people that I get to spend time with, whether the elders, some of you that I get to spend time with outside of church, the staff, I'm surrounded by people that their life is an exhortation to me. When I spend time with them, it's not, I'm not fighting a backwards pool. When I hang out with Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Josiah, Pastor Chad, they're not talking about how to pick up ladies and do sneaky, sneaky things. I've never had a conversation with any of them where it's just like, hey, do you notice that new lady at the church? Uh, get, a, get a load of her, you know, however people talk when they talk about ladies. <laughs> I'm proud to say I'm not very practiced in that, in that area. And, and I, I've known Pastor Jonathan for almost 20 years. Not once have we had a conversation like that. Not, not once. Never commenting. And I'm, I'm just using that as an example, right? I'm, I'm being extreme for the sake of, of uh, illustration, but this applies to any kind of sin or anything that would, would derail us. That the people I'm spending time with, we're not looking to, to dodge holiness. We're looking to engage holiness. And, and, if, and if I was ever to comment or say something that would move the other direction, you know what? The, the tether I have to them would not allow me. I, I would have to choose to cut relationship in order to drift backwards. But as long as I keep relationship with them, I'm tethered in to people that are moving in the right direction. And it's a safety net for me, and it can be a safety net for you. That's what he's describing. So you don't drift backwards. Tether yourself in relationship with people that their life is an encouragement, an exhortation, a spur to move closer to God instead of further away from God. When Pastor Chad and I talk, we're not trying to figure out a way to, to smoke pot in the church bathroom so the elders don't, don't find out. And if I, ever, if I ever mentioned something like that to him, he wouldn't be like, okay, I'm listening. He'd be like, are you out of your mind? He, he would make a distinction. We'd have to sever relationship or something. Something would have to change. That would be unacceptable in that context, right? I'm talking about relationships with men and women of God. And so again, those are extreme examples. But, but anything that would be out of line. You need to be tethered with people that would not allow that to happen, to happen in your life. But it requires people, again, making themselves available and make yourself vulnerable. That you can have life on life. Your life can be an exhortation, an encouragement to others. We're, we're, we're making unusual spiritual progress. We're doing it together. My life is going to spur yours on. Your life is going to spur me on. We're going to grow together. We've got to be, drop the facade, engage with people outside of this room, outside of this, this building. It takes intentionality. It says they, they devoted themselves. They were, they were devoted. 
You know, one of the things I feel like God wants to speak to people's hearts, some people, is that there, there's a reason some don't engage in these relationships, and it's because they feel like they don't have much to offer in these relationships. And that, that's, that's a lie that keeps you from engaging. Your life can be an exhortation. Your life can be an encouragement to other people. You have something to offer. God has put something on the inside of you that you shouldn't downplay, you shouldn't minimize, you shouldn't exercise false humility over it. What God has put on the inside of you is precious. It's special. He's anointed you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's something on the inside of you that the enemy wants to downplay because it's important. And if he can keep you isolated, he keeps other people from being exhorted by what God's put on the inside of you. We're a body, all of us linked together to be functioning at the level God wants us to function at. So if that's you, let God do something in your life. Open up your eyes, reveal things to you, stir up something on the inside. I have something that is a blessing to the people around me. That God has blessed me and I am a major, people just being around me, I'm a blessing to them. You, to have, and not an arrogance, and a confidence in what God has put on the inside. I'm a blessing. I'm a blessing to, for people to spend time around me. I'm saying that on your behalf. You, you, you are a blessing. People are blessed to get to spend time with you, to be exhorted by your life, to receive from your gifts. It's a blessing to be around you. You've got to see yourself that way. Otherwise, you become like the steward that hid his talent. I don't have a whole lot. I'm just going to bury it in the backyard. I'm just going to stay home. I don't think I'm going to do the groups again this semester. You have something. To, you're depriving other people, and you're being deprived of it as well. It's not just about what you can receive from a connect group. It's about what you have to offer the connect group. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves, devoted to fellowship. That word fellowship in the Greek is this word koinonia, and it's a word that's used to describe the fellowship of believers, this special way that we are linked, this relationship that really is only available in the body of Christ. It literally means a sharing together. That's the word that's used in Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 42. They devoted themselves to koinonia, this, this, sharing, this sharing together. What I want to do this morning is I want to have communion together. And when we share communion, in the Bible, when you hear the word communion, it's actually the same word, koinonia, that's being used. It's this word for fellowship. I'll give you an example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of of the body of Christ. He's talking about the communion meal, the miracle meal that we're about to, to receive in just a few minutes. But he, he uses this word koinonia because it's this, this fellowship that we have with one another in the body of Christ, that the spirit of God is in me and the spirit of God is in you. We've, we're, we're linked together. We're, we're linked to the Lord that when you got in a relationship with God, like it or not, you got in a relationship with me. When I got in a relationship with the Lord, like it or not, we become family. There's koinonia that what God has done in us is also what God has done in, in us to unify so I want to read one more passage and then we'll receive communion together. But just one way that we can increase this koinonia, one way that we can grow in this fellowship that's available to us, that provides so many of the things that you're hungry for, that you crave, provided in these, this koinonia, 
that God has made available in the body of Christ. First John chapter one, verse three. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the Apostle John is, is writing here and he says, so that you may have fellowship. What is he doing so that they may have fellowship with him? He said, I'm telling you what I've seen. I'm telling you what I've heard. Why? So we can have fellowship with one another and our fellowship is with the Father. Our fellowship is with Jesus Christ. So on, on one level, primarily, he's talking about what, what the Apostle John has seen and heard He's seen and heard the gospel being lived out. He's seen Jesus. He's heard Jesus teach. He saw Jesus hanging on the cross. He saw them put Jesus in the tomb. He got to interact to see and to hear the resurrected Lord Jesus. He got to see Jesus ascend. He got to hear the fact that Jesus would return to the Mount of Olives the, the way that he left. He got to see and he got to hear those things. So he's sharing that so this koinonia could become available. So that's primarily what's being communicated. But in communicating that, he gives us a principle that we can make use of in our own relationships. How was he building koinonia? How was he building fellowship? So that we can have fellowship. What was he doing? So I'm going to tell you the things that I've seen. I'm going to share with you the things that I've heard so that we can increase in our, our koinonia, our fellowship, and we can grow in our fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Ideally, what takes place in a connect group is you meet together in someone's home, you eat some good food, you take time to sit down, and you share what God's been speaking to you. You talk about the sermon. Here's, here's what God was speaking to me. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm hearing. Here's what the Holy Spirit was dealing with me about from your own private time in the Word of God. Here's what God has been speaking to me. And you're sharing the things that you've seen. You're sharing the things that you've heard. Why? So that you can increase in koinonia, that we could grow in fellowship with one another and grow in our, in our relationship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we... It's not enough just to acknowledge, yeah, man, I think these relationships are super important. Okay, what can I do to increase and to bolster and to strengthen them? One of the things we can do is set aside time to get together, to fellowship, and to share the things that we've seen and the things that we've heard. I want to hear, what's God speaking to you? Well, how is he dealing with you? Tell me the things that you've seen and you've heard. It's a picture of iron sharpening iron. So uh, again, we're going to share communion, and then I want to encourage you, if you're not signed up for a connect group, sign up for one. And if you are signed up for one, Lean in. This be, be the ideal connect group family member. Be, be the dream connect group family member to the people that are in that group with you. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.